I always believe that if any you're ever, if anytime I'm ever going through a series of messages, that I should do my very best to go back and connect where we're at today with where we closed off last week for just a brief moment. Because we did open in Galatians, the 6th chapter, the 14th and the 15th and the 16th verse. And we talked about, I even went all the way back to the Genesis and we looked at the initiation of the covenant that was made with Abraham to which we will allude to in just a few moments in much greater detail. But we also made comparison to a degree of looking at Israel in the flesh when they received the covenant at Mount Sinai, the law of commandments and the promises that were afforded. Now, I want to make some clarity real quickly in that there is a distinction between the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic law. Actually, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians alludes to this because he says that the covenant that was made with Abraham, he said the law coming 430 years after cannot disannul. And so the law contains certain provi- uh, provisional promises that were often conditional that, we'll, again, we'll allude to in a few more moments. However, at the same time, we are able to look at God's hand upon ancient Israel as an example. The Apostle Paul said that on two separate occasions, Romans 15, the fourth verse, and 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. The things that happened to ancient Israel have happened unto them for our example that we can receive admonishment which means warning with instruction. So we can look at their life and we can glean some things from them. And it was very exciting for us to see the promises that were made to ancient Israel. Promises concerning blessing and favor and grace. Come on. An enemy that could not stand in front of you. Are y'all with me today? Fields that would be blessed. Children and offspring that would be blessed. You know, God promised and God said in Deuteronomy chapter 11, the land that you're living in is not like the land that you came out of. And that's something that every Christian has to, has to learn as a principle in their heart. You don't live in this kingdom the way you used to live in the, in the devil's kingdom. Come on, we live and function in a whole different environment with a whole different set of rules. And so as we look to ancient Israel, I always find uh, some admiration for those promises. I thank God for them today. And and I want to be found guilty of, of, of walking in the promises of God that are available unto me. And I took you into the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, because therein lies a great, again, mystery and revelation that the Apostle Paul takes us into when he tells us plainly and strictly that he says, God has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. God has broken that middle wall of partition down. And he's made of two one new man. He broke the the wall of partition down. He took away, the Bible says, the enmity of ordinances, the law of commandments, and he brought us into a common unity as a fellowship. And with that, he said, we previously were strangers to the covenant promises of Israel, but now we are of the household of faith. Glory to God. Think about that for just a moment that he said to the Gentiles, you were strangers and you were foreigners. Paul even said this in Ephesians, you who were afar off. We were afar off from God. Now Israel was near, but we as Gentiles were afar off. But Paul extended this revelation by saying whether you're afar off or whether you're near, now that middle wall of partition has been pulled down and God can unify us together in one in a common faith. And that common faith is through Christ through Christ Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for sin, giving you and I access to God. Boy, that's a powerful word right there. 
Now, as we contemplate that just a little bit further, we have to go into the depth of this for just a moment and very quickly. So last week, my emphasis to a degree was on on, uh, Israel, and we are going to look at Israel according to the flesh in a few moments. But I want to draw your attention to Abraham for just a moment, for it's in the 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. The Bible says that he was living in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, when God called him to go into a land that he did not know, a land that he was being promised as a covenant promise that would belong to him and his seed after him. And God promised him that he would be blessed. It's a powerful covenant that God makes with this man Abraham and Abraham obeys God later God reaffirms that covenant in the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis and reaffirms it again in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis and the sign of that covenant was circumcision the removal of the foreskin as a sign or a mark of that covenant and with that that again as you read in the passages of scripture in the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians the reference to circumcision is always it's, it's, it's an argument that is being made at this particular season of the first century church because believers, uh, New Testament believers, Gentile believers had come to faith and were starting to learn that God has brought them into the covenant promises that had been made through Abraham, but the Judaizers were going around and wanting the men to receive circumcision as a mark of the covenant. And so Paul is taking the men and women through a series of teaching that brings them to the place that whether you are uncircumcised or whether you're circumcised, it really is of no avail. Rather, it's whether you're circumcised circumcised in your heart and whether you've received Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. An outer mark is nothing more than exactly that, an outward mark. It's the inward mark that must be seen before God, right? When we humble ourselves and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one and true sacrifice, giving all men everywhere access to the presence of God. Hallelujah. And so this argument is made throughout the scriptures and we've seen it here not only in the book of Galatians, but let me be truthful with you. This argument is recorded in in Romans, the second chapter, the third chapter, and the fourth chapter. Then he jumps to the ninth chapter, picks the argument back up in the ninth, the tenth, and the eleventh chapter of the book of Romans. Romans. It reemerges in the book of Galatians here in the third chapter, the fourth chapter, even vaguely in the fifth chapter and culminating in the sixth chapter. It reappears in the book of Ephesians in the second chapter and in the third chapter. And the apostle Paul made a startling statement to us last week in the third chapter of the book of Ephesians. And it's from there that I want to tag team as this unfolds in front of us just a little bit more. He said, I, he said, I pray this for you. And this is a prayer I've been praying for you. It's been a prayer that I've been praying for myself. He said, I pray that as you read, you will understand my knowledge in this mystery. And say, Pastor, what are you talking about? He said, I'm praying that as you read my writings in the epistles that I'm writing to you, that you will understand my knowledge that God has given the Apostle Paul in the mystery of Christ and the inclusion of the Gentiles into the lineage of faith. That's a powerful word. So what we have to do is put ourselves in a place where we're saying, God, I pray that when I read, you're going to teach me, Father, this mystery so that I can gain the revelation knowledge that the Apostle Paul had about this mystery that I was a Gentile alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. But now in Christ Jesus, when Jesus Christ died on the cross and spilt his blood as the atoning sacrifice and uttered those words, it is finished and the veil was torn down. The Bible 
Bible says that he took the enmity of the law out of the way and he has now allowed us to have access to the Jew who believes and to the Gentile who believes and we become one new man and we have access to the Heavenly Father. My God, hallelujah. That's a good word right there because it begins to lift your countenance. Because if you look back to Abraham for just a moment, when God made covenant with Abraham, he said, Abraham, he said, you're going to be blessed. And how many of you know God blessed Abraham? When I read about Abraham and I've been studying about his life this week and following the blessing of God upon Abraham, I tell you, I stand with admiration. Because I tell you, God defended Abraham even when he got himself in error. Have you ever experienced that in God, found God defending you when you really didn't deserve it? I tell you, two times Abraham kind of was afraid to speak up about his wife because his wife was beautiful to look upon in that culture. He went through two nations. He went through the region of the Philistines and he went through the land of Egypt and he told his wife twice, he said, you say I'm, that I'm your brother, I'll say you're my sister because they see how beautiful you are. They're going to take you from me and give you to the king. And he said, they're going to probably kill me in the process. Now, she was his half-sister according to his national lineage so he wasn't necessarily lying but he was not speaking forth fully confidently but God covered for him. I'm thankful today for a God that will cover for us because two times those kings did take Sarah from him and left him out in his tent without his wife but God visited those kings and said I'm going to tell you right now that man's a prophet and you better keep your hands off of his wife because we're watch I'm watching over her and you better make sure you better know that if you mess with him you're messing with me. Hallelujah, that's a good word right there. And so two times those kings, one of which uh, Abimelech was the king of the Philistines, he woke up out of a dream, realized God had spoke to him and called Abraham and said, Abraham, why did you not tell me this? His whole house was plagued with disease because of it. And God said, the only way you're going to get out of this disease is that you've got to ask that prophet that's living out in the tent to pray for you. And if he prays for you, I'll lift the curse that I put on you because I ain't putting the curse on him. Come on, somebody. And when it was all said and done, God took of the wealth of Egypt and the wealth of the Philistines and they put it on Abraham just to get him out of his country. And without an army, he spoiled both lands. And the Bible says that God made him rich with gold and silver, men servants, maid servants, and much cattle. Glory to God. Provisional by the supernatural power of God. Because of what? Because of a covenant that he made with Abraham. I'm so thankful to be a part of a covenant today because the Bible tells me that if I'm a faith, if I'm a faith, then I'm a child of Abraham according to faith. Now, Paul, through his teachings in the third chapter of the book of Galatians, goes into something in great detail. Perhaps time will not afford us, but you'll have to glean it and read it on your own because Paul begins to make this argument. He said this covenant promise that God made with Abraham is a little bit different with the covenant promises that he made with the children of Israel as a whole at the base of Mount Sinai because he said that first of all, the covenant promise was made to Abraham and his seed, not seeds as of many, but seed as of one, that one was Christ. Therein lies the mystery oftentimes and we try to trail the promise exactly through and see the blessing all the way through the multiplied people of ancient Israel and therefore oftentimes we fail because the covenant promise was made not to as the nation as a whole but to one, the seed of Abraham. That seed was Christ. And all who are in Christ, whether you are Jew or Gentile, are heirs according to the covenant 
oh my God, heirs according to the covenant promises. May you, when you read, understand Paul's mystery. Now, there was something powerfully distinct between the covenant God made with Abraham from the covenant that he made with Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. At the base of Mount Sinai, a covenant was made that was called the law. The law was conditional upon the obedience of the people. And it was conditional upon if you do these things, the Bible says that God would bless you. And if you do not do these things, then you could be cursed. How many of you have ever read that? The curse of the law. The Bible speaks of blessing, but the Bible also speaks of curses. Paul would even allude to that in the third chapter later below the text that we read when he said that the Bible says that cursed is everyone who continueth not in everything that is written in the law to do. And that all men everywhere, the Bible plainly has taught us through the Apostle Paul's teaching that the law, the law in and of itself, that we could not keep the law. The law was a schoolmaster to simply expose our weaknesses and our inabilities to obtain righteousness by that law. And so therefore, the apostle is then saying, as he's looking back to Abraham, and he's saying, so here's a covenant that's not conditional upon the yea and nay of Abraham, but rather on the yea of God. It's a promise that's made to Abraham that's dependent upon what? His faith. Abraham believed God. And when he believed God... He counted it unto him as righteousness, and he afforded to him all the beneficiary or the, the, the benefits of the covenant for a singular reason. Why? Because he believed God. He believed God. And if you and I can arrive at the place in our faith when we begin to realize that our, our blessings and favor that's upon us today is not conditional to a degree in essence about whether or not we can align ourselves with some type of, of, of spiritual alignment to the law or even to Christendom and what we put on you and the parameters that we put upon you, but rather the blessings that come upon us come upon us because the promise was to Abraham and to his seed. His seed was Christ. And so therefore, because you and I are in Christ and we put our faith in Christ, then therefore the blessing of God comes upon us because we're in Christ Jesus. Glory to God. The reason why that's important because I know the carnality of our mind. I know the weaknesses of our own flesh. I know how easy it is for your own heart to condemn you. But I want you to know there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Come on somebody. If you are in Christ Jesus you will walk according to the Spirit because you've received the Spirit by faith when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore you are not fulfilling the order of the law because you could not keep the law. But one man did that man Christ Jesus and that man also received the covenant promises made to Abraham and that man is Christ. God has put us in Christ and because we are in Christ we are now heirs to the covenant promises of God. Let me just bound. Let's think about that for just a moment. Let's evolve with this for just a moment very quickly. And so therefore, our righteousness today is found in Christ. The word righteous in the Greek means right standing with God. If you understand righteousness, then you lift your countenance every day. You don't have your head bowed over. You lift your countenance up because you know that you are in the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. You are pleasing to God through Christ. I know that in of ourselves there's no good thing. In my flesh there is no good thing. But how many of you know I'm not in the flesh? 
I'm in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, God can allow blessing to be upon my life because I'm in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense to you? It takes the Spirit of God to bring revelation to you concerning this. So that at Christ, as we put our faith in Christ, then two marvelous works occur initially. First, we're declared the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But the Bible says that we are also justified by faith. The word justified in the Greek again means that it is just as if we have never sinned. Come on, people, would y'all work with me a little bit here today? Come on, just as if you have never sinned. I know that you don't feel justified all the time. I know that in your own uh, human emotions and in the carnality of our mind, we oftentimes, we don't feel righteous and we don't feel justified. Let me tell you, your feelings will work against faith. You do not stand by feelings. He didn't say that you were brought into the covenant promises of Abraham because you felt like it. He said you're brought into the kingdom of, uh, uh, and the, the blessing of Abraham because you believe, because God's dealt to every man the measure of faith. And if you, by your faith, believe in the word that was spoken over, you that you are in Christ justified in righteous and righteous then you are made righteous in the eyes of God and therefore you can lift up your eyes unto heaven with the full assurance of faith that God's going to accept you because he accepted come on the redemptive blood of Jesus on the cross it was an exchange that's why it's called redemption the Bible concluded us all in sin there was none righteous no not one he concluded us all both Jew and Gentile as sinner no man could keep the, 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 the works of the law but Christ died on the cross spilled his blood so that you and I could then be joined to the father through his atoning blood and you can live your life in sorrow and you can live your life with a downcast attitude and you can live your life beating yourself up for sins that you committed long ago or you can learn to rise above it by faith and say I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus I put my faith in Christ and so therefore God can bless me not because of my failures or my successes. God can bless me because of his uh, obedience on the cross. And so therefore I am justified, made righteous and blessed with faithful Abraham because, come on somebody, of my faith. Galatians 3 says that you are blessed with faithful Abraham. Let's make a comparison for just a moment, shall we, for just a moment. Well, what is this, who is the Israel of God again for just a moment? I want you to dwell with me for a moment. I see a misconception oftentimes what I believe, you could make the argument perhaps differently if you and I were to debate this, but I see a misconception in the eyes of many in the modern Christian church concerning modern Israel comparatively to historical Israel and especially comparatively to the, uh, the, the seed of Abraham. So let me take a moment real quickly to talk about it because Paul addressed it especially in the 9th, the 10th, and the 11th chapter of the book of Romans to which that will be at a, a later date that we'll open it up a little more thoroughly. But Paul concluded in Galatians chapter 6 with saying, if you walk according to this rule, then mercy and peace be upon the Israel of God. You and I have been found guilty many times of 
saying that's God's chosen people. And you'll say that about Israel living there in the land of ancient Israel, as you and I know, there beside the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I would never in any wise say anything negative or disparagingly about, uh, about the Israelites. The Apostle Paul, in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, addressed them in this vein right here. He said, for the cross sake, for the cross sake, he said, they're your enemies. Now, for the most part today, they're not necessarily the enemy to the preaching of the cross, for the cross' sake. But in Paul's day, truly the spirit of Antichrist was working greatly Amen. through the Judaizers, okay? They were anti-Christ. Are y'all with me today? I know you're waiting on a dark figure to come out of the revised Roman Empire, but I'm telling you, in their day, it was through the Judaizers that were opposing Christ, the spirit of Antichrist, in opposition to it. Now, Paul said, he said, so for the cross's sake, he said, they're your enemy. He said, but for the Father's sake, going back to Abraham, they're beloved. So, therefore, we find ourselves praying for salvation first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. So we pray for the salvation of Jews. Paul the Apostle said, I even wish myself accursed from Christ if I could at least lead some of my kinsmen according to the flesh into this faith that I now possess. He was willing to even be separated, at least hypothetically, separated from the common faith for the sake. He longed and grieved for them. He even wrote in the book of Romans, he said, I pray that, he said, I pray that they will grow jealous of what they're seeing in the Gentile church and that will open their eyes and they will see and they'll turn and they'll see Christ and they'll accept Christ as their Savior that some of them may be saved. And so the Apostle Paul in numerous passages of Scripture taught truly who ancient Israel was and who they are in the modern Israel. I'll just very quickly allude to it today just so you can connect with it for just a moment because the apostle said, he said that has God cast away all of his people? He said, truly not. He said, I'm a Jew. In the 11th chapter, he said, I'm a Jew. I mean, no, Jesus was a Jew according to the flesh. He said, God has always had a remnant. So there are three teachings in the church today about the Jewish people. Two are in error, in my personal opinion. One is right on. One is what's called replacement theology. Replacement theology says that the church has replaced Israel. I don't see that as being true to Scripture. The other is called separation theology, that God still deals separately with the Jew than the Gentile. I don't believe that either because I believe it says God tore down the middle wall of partition between us. The third, and I believe it's the more accurate theology, is called remnant theology. And that God said through Paul, God's always had a remnant. God's always had a remnant. He even referred in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans back to the days when God spoke to Elijah. When Elijah was on Mount Sinai where the law of commandments had been received and he made his petition to God and he said, God, they've torn down your altar and he said, there's nobody left but me. And he was pouting. Have you ever pouted? The prophet pouted, and God said, I want you to know. He said, you got an anointing, no doubt, and you've been blessed. But he said, I want you to know, i got 7,000 men that have bowed, not bowed their knee to Baal. And so the apostle said, God has always had a remnant. God's always had a remnant of believers uh, through that Jewish lineage uh, that did not put their trust in the works of the law, but they put their trust in a God who justifies by faith. Oh, my God. See, Abraham received a covenant that pronounced, him, uh, that, that pronounced him righteous, imputed it unto him without the works of the law. 
And he said the law, 430 years, cannot disannul that covenant because that covenant was given by oath. And when God speaks it, let me tell you, he doesn't retract it. God promised that he would make Abraham not only a nation but nations and that in those nations they would be blessed. And he said, Abraham, you have been blessed to be a blessing. And so today when I start the process of trying to answer this question, who is the Israel of God? It is my belief that it is the descendants of Abraham who are by faith according to that remnant of even Jewish believers who believed even during the time of the law but ultimately they concluded that the law was insufficient to take away sin that the continual coming back to the priest with a Passover lamb and a sin offering and a goat offering and a bullock would in no wise take away sin but when Christ Jesus came then they realized that that is the one true offering and every man of that first Jewish lineage that sees and understands that that is true Israel and then when Jesus died on the cross and he opened up to the Gentile world you and I add our faith and we become a part of the Israel of God my God that's a good word right there and that's why let me take a moment and expound just a little bit further to you a point I made last week in the book of John the 8th chapter Jesus was having this argument to a degree uh, with the, the, the Pharisees uh, in, who were resting that they were the chosen people of God because they were descendants of Abraham now let's talk about that for just a moment I've shared it before but I'll tell you what it still smells fresh this morning and it needs to be echoed today for just a moment of time Jesus is conversing with them and he says, I know that you are of the national, the natural descent of Abraham. He said, but if you were Abraham's children, he said, you would believe in me. Now they were perplexed by that because they knew that they, but see, Jesus didn't always speak in natural terms. Nicodemus, you must be Born again, how can I enter the second time in my mother's womb? He could not rightly discern the language that he was speaking to him because he was speaking with words of the spirit, not of the natural. So Jesus is speaking here in John chapter number 8, and he's saying, I know you're the natural seed of Abraham, but you're not children of Abraham because you're not believing in me. And they're perplexed by it. And then he made this statement. Oh, how there is a depth of understanding contained in this statement. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, what a powerful thing that is right there. What Jesus was referring to was a fateful day in the life of Abraham. It's recorded in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. God has honored his faith by giving him a seed later in life through his aged wife, Sarah. Y'all remember that? Now, he had done his best to produce his, seed, produce his seed in the flesh, and he produced Ishmael. And with that did not come the promise. Are y'all with me today? I thought on that, and I thought, how many times, how many times do we want to try to produce something in the flesh? And God says, this thing's of the Spirit. And so he said, at 75, he made the promise to Abraham. Abraham, you're going to have a son and he's going to multi, I'm going to multiply your name and lineage through that son. 12 years later, no son. Hagar, Sarah's handmaid is presented unto him. Seems like a good plan to Abraham. He goes into her, produces Ishmael. 
The, again, the, the promise lays dormant for 12 additional years until he's 99 years of age. He's living every day thinking that uh, he's helped God fulfill the promise. Oh, how many of us are guilty of that? We're going to help God here along the way. God don't need our help. I just want you to know that. He doesn't need our help. We just need to trust in him to have faith, to have faith. And so God reappears to Abraham and says, your wife is going to have a child. He laughs just a little bit and says, a child, he said, have you looked at her lately? She's not as young, God. That's when you argue with God fairly. She's not as young as she used to be. I'm sure he kind of quieted, quieted down just a little bit. And he said, no, it's going to be through Sarah. Now, the writer of both Hebrews and Romans would look back at it and said that he considered his own body. He did not consider his own body now dead. Now, not only was Sarah's womb past the flower of her age, past the ability to reproduce, but, uh, but Abraham's own loins were unable to produce. But how many of you know when God's spirit and when you believe... Abraham, Paul wrote in Romans 4 to set the stage for this, staggered not at the promises of God, but was strong in faith, believing that what God had promised, he would perform. He considered not even the deadness of his own loins, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he believed that what God has promised, he was faithful to perform. Oh, we need sons and daughters of Abraham who will believe God for promises made, written on the fleshly tablet of our heart. And so a year later, Sarah did laugh, this time with a bubbling, bouncing boy named Isaac, and he was heir to the covenant promises of God. And so the Bible then tells us a little bit later that God came to Abraham to tempt him. And he said, I want you to take your son, and I want you to go into the mountains of Moriah, and there I want you to offer him and sacrifice to me. Now, Abraham was living in a land surrounded by pagan communities. And so, therefore, he was accustomed in remote places to child sacrifice. But he never believed that God would require that. Even later in the writing of the prophets, God clarified and said, it's never even entered my mind one time for a child sacrifice. But he tempted Abraham, proved him. Are y'all with me today? He proved him. So think with me for just a moment. So the longest day of Abraham's life began early one morning as they made a journey. Him with a couple of servants and, a, and, and I believe a, an animal and they brought wood to the base of the mountains of Moriah. Not just the mountain of Moriah, but the mountains of Moriah. Now, oddly enough, many years later, it is believed that when King David had the vision upon where to build the ancient temple of Israel at, that he would build the temple or his son Solomon would build the temple on the very top of the mountain that Abraham made the journey to. And they're walking up that mountain having left their servants and you remember the story, Genesis chapter number 22. Isaac begins to question, Father, we have the wood and we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham being a prophet <laughs> said, Son, my God shall supply himself a lamb. Glory to God. And he went to the top of that mountain and he built an altar there of stone and he took his son, the promised seed, and he bound him with a leather uh, rope and he placed him there on top of the wood that was on top of the stone. 
And he reached his hand high in the air, prepared to take the dagger and to drive it deep into the beating heart within his son's chest. And just as his arm started in a downward thrust, a voice from heaven called out and stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not, do not slay your son, for now I know that you love me. Now I know that you love me. And oh, what relief would have come over Abraham. But the Bible says that there in that moment uh, that Abraham lifted his eye up and when he lifted his eye up uh, he saw a ram uh, caught in a thicket uh, by his horns uh, and it was there that he said this mountain is none other than Jehovah Jireh in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen in the mount of the Lord it will be provided and so when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and saying your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day what Abraham saw he didn't just see that ram. He saw through that ram until a fateful day until the Son of God would be suspended between two thieves and there with the crown of thorns upon his brow, the ram was once again caught in a thicket there on the mountain and there God provided himself a lamb and the eternal blood of Christ was shed so that you and I, are y'all with me today, could be blessed with faithful Abraham, glory to God. Hallelujah. And so, church family, I just want you to know that God can bless your life today and make inclusion of the covenant promises of God, not because of your futile efforts, but because of a fateful day 2,000 years ago when the blood of Christ was shed on the cross so that all men everywhere could come unto this covenant promise. And through Abraham, he and we could be blessed. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, in closing today, I'll ask Daryl to join me on the platform. You know what? I am nowhere near developing this thought in its entirety. I'll have to pick it back up. Same channel, same network, same program next week. But let me go just a little bit further in conclusion of this today. As a covenant uh, a benefactor of the blessings of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is primarily what's mentioned. More or less, not necessarily always blessings, but blessing. Not necessarily blessings, blessing. Let me share with you what the greatest of blessings that can come upon you when you by faith trust in the God of Abraham. And when you lift up your eyes and you see Jesus suspended on the cross for you and you trust in him as your Savior. Are y'all hearing me today? What is, is the great blessing that God gives you? The Bible says that the Gentiles can receive the Spirit through faith. Amen. Receive the Spirit. Oh, the mystery of God's Holy Spirit who dwells on the inside of us. He is like the wind. I can't see Him, but I can recognize Him. I can feel His effects. I can discern His effects. God sends the Spirit into our hearts crying, Father, Father. The Bible through the Apostle Paul would later write and say, the earnest of your inheritance is the Spirit. I'm thankful today for an eternal city that God's prepared for us. Did you know what was said about Abraham? Before we get back to the Spirit in just a moment. It says that Abraham was a stranger and a pilgrim. He was walking in a land that God had promised him, but he was still a stranger in it. 
And the Bible says he looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. Now the reality is, church family, you and I can be blessed with faithful Abraham. And I believe that God can bless you no matter where you are. No matter what depth of material blessings that you are trying to weigh your blessings out by. And that's unfortunate for you. Because I'm telling you, if you weigh your, your blessings out only materially, you have missed the mark very wide. Come on, somebody. But rather, I'm thankful today that that blessing follows me wherever I go. I thought on that and I thought, God, you have been so gracious to bless me in my life. I thought since the time when I was the pastor in Shirley, you know what? I found God's blessing. I did. It, it, God's blessing found me. I, I believed for it, and, I, and, and, and it came to me. And I moved down the mountain. And when I moved down the mountain and came to Heber, guess what? I found that the blessing of God found me here. I even mistakenly moved out to Ida. And you've got to really be blessed to be out there in Ida. But God found me. Then I moved up on the mountain, and that blessing was there. Then I moved further in, down on the mountain, and the blessing was there. Now I live down a gravel road. And you know what? God is not afraid of dust. Because that blessing has found me there. And if I were to pick up and move and live in a tent somewhere, I believe that wherever I set the sole of my feet... I would be blessed. Uh, Pastor, why do you believe that way? Because a man by the name of Abraham, the patriarch of the faith, the father of the faith, God said, I'm going to bless you wherever... Are y'all hearing me today? Wherever you put your feet, uh, the sole of your feet, God said, I'm going to bless you. And so that blessing is uh, not tied to that specific location. That blessing is tied to a promise. And as long as I believe the promise, uh, then that blessing is going to follow me. Glory to God. And you can be blessed. You just need to know that. You can walk in the blessing of God. And the greatest benefit of being in the covenant that God's made with Abraham is that you and I can receive the Spirit. We receive the Spirit by faith. First of all, we're born again by the Holy Spirit. We're born into God's kingdom. Are y'all with me? With me, Those born of Abraham's house, you and I are born into the kingdom when we receive the Spirit God gives us the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of terms like regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says he sends his spirit into your heart crying, Father, Father. And you are made a child of God. You have a peace with God. You are at peace with God. Are you hearing me? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Come on, the Holy Spirit. See, you and I, we are not just physical beings if you're born again. We are not. And we learn to live life on a different plane. We learn to walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, live in the Spirit. Are y'all hearing me today? We learn to live our life because He's the earnest of our inheritance today. God's not reserved that for a future time as of yet. The greatest work of that Spirit is in the future, but even now there's a great work of the Spirit in our lives. Doesn't it give us great comfort, peace? Let me give you an example of this real quickly today. I'm making slowly the comparison between Israel of the flesh and the Israel of God. Our visit to Israel a year ago really changed. Jojo, Shane, my perspective of a lot of things. And we were so grieved for the Jewish people. 
because they have a form of godliness, but they don't know the true power. They have an order, they have a law, they have a commandment. They know God in the soulless realm, the mind, the will, and the emotions. But when you know him in your spirit, are y'all hearing me today? When you know him in your spirit, then you'll know God is no longer just located in the underneath the mount of the Holy of Holies or on a temple mound somewhere. But God is everywhere, near unto us. The word of faith is near you, in your heart and in your mouth, the word of faith. And so I thought for just a moment with so many look and say, well, that person is blessed because they are the natural, the natural descendant of Abraham. And I say to myself, you are confused. Those who are of the faith of Abraham, who've received the Spirit, whether Jew or Gentile, bond or free, male or female, we are blessed with faithful Abraham today. Oh, what a great grace God's given us by the Holy Spirit. And when God gives you the Holy Spirit, oh, how he lifts your eyes and your countenance. He begins to open to you his great promises. And you will learn, and this is what I'll set the stage for next week. You're going to learn that the blessing of God comes upon you, not because of your failure or your success at an attempt to fulfill the law, but the blessing of God comes upon you because you believe God. You believe God. You trust in the Lord. Of course that trust is lived out in a life that brings him glory. If you're not living a life bringing God glory, you hadn't trusted God. Oh, that's good right there. So church family today, I've just taken it a little bit further, extending a little bit farther. Paul wrote a, a, a statement. I made it a question. Who is the Israel of God? And Paul had already answered it in the third chapter when he said, those who are of faith, the same, the same. Think that with me, the same. Why is that important? Because I know the way the American Christian thinks. And the American Christian looks across the sea at modern Israel and says, that's the chosen people of God while you sit here in despair with a life bogged down, beating yourself up all the time, looking at them over there and saying they're blessed because they're the natural seed of Abraham and you're the spiritual seed. Come on, with covenant promises. Lift up your eyes. Know in whom you have believed. Be fully persuaded that what God has promised, he will perform. You are the beloved of God. You are the blessed of God. The favor and the grace and the mercy of God is available unto you as a child of God. Come boldly into the throne room of grace. Obtain mercy. Come on, somebody, and find grace to help in time of need. Make your petition known. Cry out, cry loud. Stand strong in the promises of God. Know that God is not a man that he should lie. If he promised it to you, he will fulfill it. Wait on God. Trust in the Lord. Believe in the promises of God today in Jesus name our heads bowed and our eyes closed today as we wait in the presence of God the clock is beeped it's past the noon hour it's time to close and today I'm asking a couple quick questions this morning if you're here today and you say pastor wow that, that I just didn't know I didn't know fully but God is opening my understanding and you'd say pastor I would like to be a part 
of this kingdom that is of God. I would like to be a part of this Israel of God. I would like to be a part of the faith of Abraham. Pastor, would you pray with me today? I would. I would love to pray with you today because we're going to pray a prayer for you today that will graft you in to this glorious olive tree. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Christ. I admit, I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to be a part of that family. I need Christ today. Pastor Brown, would you pray with me? Slip your hand up. I'll see. I look across the audience today. Thank you for that hand today. I'm going to pray, certainly, today. Secondly, today, number two, and we're closing with this, and we're going to pray a group prayer here today. In the name of Jesus, who here today have been honest of making that statement that I've said before? You look across the sea at the people of modern Israel, and you say, well, that's the chosen people of God, while you fail to recognize that you've been chosen by God in Christ and that you are the blessed of God through Christ. And the grace and the mercy and the favor can be upon you, your house, your children, and your children's children if you will yet believe. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, would you pray with me that God would give me what you said in the beginning? You said that Paul said, I pray that when you read, you would understand this mystery, the inclusion of the Gentiles. Pastor, would you pray with me? If that's you, lift your hand up today. Lift your hand up. Is there anyone wrong? I see that hand today that says, Pastor, pray with me. Ought to be more hands than that today, just to be honest today. You say, Pastor, my, 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 my family, I'm kind of downcast right now. Is this how God wants me to live. I'll pray with you today. I don't believe that that's the way he wants you to live. He wants you to live in faith. Come on, is that true today? God wants you to live in faith. Let everybody stand up today in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray a prayer today and we're going to pray. Come on, let's pray this today. Come on, let's pray this today. I'll put this on today. I want to read this to you directly in the name of Jesus. For this Paul, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. They didn't know it in ages gone by, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. If the Spirit doesn't reveal this to you, it doesn't matter how effective the preaching is. Come on, I know I'm taking a lot of your time today, but if the Spirit does not reveal this to you, it doesn't matter who the Bible uh, teacher is. If you don't get this by the Spirit, you're not going to get it. The Spirit has to reveal this to you. What is this? That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That's our prayer today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as a pastor of this great fellowship, though just but a few raise their hand, God, I'm going to believe in my heart that that few is but a remnant of the true majority that's here today saying, I need revelation in this area. I need understanding in this area. And God, I join my faith right now today. And I'm praying with all the faith that's inside of me, Father, uh, to, to identify our church with the prayer of the Apostle Paul. That God, that when they read, 
and when they hear and when they listen and when they meditate upon what has been spoken, that God, in the name of Jesus Christ, that you will unveil this mystery to them and that God, it will be like the veil will be lifted and they will see themselves differently through Christ, not through self-humanism and works of the flesh, but through the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our inclusion into the commonwealth of true Israel who is the Israel of faith, the Israel of the spirit, not the Israel according to the flesh. So God, today in the name of Jesus, I pray today, Father, that you will open this mystery to each one of us, from the least of us to the greatest, to the eldest, to the youngest, God, so that we will live our life, God, in the confidence that we are of the faith of Abraham and so we are of the seed of Abraham, so therefore we are of the children of God by faith and we are heirs according to the promises and we will walk blessed, we will live our life blessed, we will speak blessed, we will know this so true, we are blessed to be a blessing. We will live our life with purpose, we will live our life with confidence, we will cause, Father God, our families to see and to know the good things that you have done in our heart, God, in the name of Jesus and it will leave a remnant of faith and a residue of faith in our children and our children's children for generations on forward or going forward God thank you for this word today God I bless the people that they will hear and they will receive this word in Jesus mighty name and all God's children said amen and amen and amen I'll ask you to put your hands together real quickly so when you think of this question who is the Israel of God somewhere you need to be able to see yourself.